0: Chapter Seventeen and Eighteen of the Life and Doctrine of Saint Catherine of Genoa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet. The Life and Doctrine of Saint Catherine of Genoa. Chapter Seventeen and Eighteen. Chapter Seventeen. This holy woman said that when God disposes a soul, to correspond to him with her free will, by placing herself wholly in his hands, he leads her to every perfection. Thus has he dealt with one who, after she was thus called, never more followed her own will, but always stood waiting interiorly upon the will of God, which she so confidently felt to be impressed upon her mind, that she sometimes said to him, In all that I think, speak, or do, I trust in thee that thou wilt not permit me to offend thee. The following rule with regard to the intellect was given to this soul, namely, never to attempt to understand anything in heaven or on earth, and, least of all, the spiritual operations in herself, and she obeyed so implicitly, that she never more observed curiously anything in herself or in others. If it were asked in what manner the intellectual powers were employed, I should answer that all the powers of the soul were always under the command and in the service of God, and when anything had to be done, at that instant, and in so far as necessity required, it was given her to know what she should do, and then the door was closed. Of the memory she could give no account, for it seemed as if she were without memory and without intellect, This was not caused by any voluntary act of hers, but was the result of seeing herself so often and so suddenly moved to action, that she easily comprehended that it was God, who was operating in her, and she remained occupied in him, and lost to all sense of time or place, and without the will or the ability to do otherwise, except when God suddenly effected some change in her nor was she ever able to consider anything except what God, at the moment, proposed to her. In this manner she was attentive to whatever she was doing, so long as necessity required, but when it was finished, all memory of it passed with it. The same thing was true of her affections, which were taken from her by her love even at the beginning, and in such a way that she could no longer love anything created or uncreated, not even God himself, at least as he was revealed in those sediments, in visions, delights, and spiritual correspondences, which all others who beheld them estimated so highly, but which she, on the contrary, held in horror and sought to fly from. But the more she sought to avoid them, the more were they given to her, and they increased in such a manner, that her body was often entirely prostrated by them. Her soul, however, remained pure and serene, as if it were passed beyond such violence, and were filled with divine sweetness. And when this was over, she seemed to be improved both in mind and body. Yet she had no desire for such improvement, and sought for nothing but God, her love, in comparison with whom she rejected all, even that which proceeded from him, as being of less value, or indeed as nothing this integrity of the will she held so cautiously and was always so hidden in god that no illusion imagination or inspiration could interpose between them nor even any truth which was not immediately from him therefore when god took from her the burden and the care of herself her spirit found itself all light and able to do great things, and the instinct of love which God gave it, when it was thus separated from her proper self, was so swift and great and powerful, that she could satisfy it nowhere but in God. Then God, seeing her so disposed and well prepared, cast down from heaven one end of the cord of his most upright, pure and holy love, and with it held her so closely occupied in him, that she readily understood that she sprang from him, and corresponded with him. Yet in all this, her humanity had no share, and neither felt, saw, nor understood it. Thus she allowed this clear water to flow descending as from a living fountain, and by means of her love and of her great purity, she saw every little defect, which to her appeared offensive, and if it had been possible for her, to tell the greatest importance of every least impediment to the divine love, Even hearts of adamant would have been ground into powder by fear of them. Chapter 18 This holy soul said that she never spoke of these great things to others without its appearing to her afterwards that she had told a lie. So weak were her words in comparison with that which she experienced through her pure and upright love. She said, therefore, I do not wish a love which may be described as for God, or in God. I cannot see those words, for and in, without their suggesting to me that something may interfere between God and me. And that is what pure and simple love, by reason of its purity and simplicity, is unable to endure. This purity and simplicity is as great as God is, for it is his own. At another time she said that she never felt like speaking of this simplicity and purity of love as if she had a sensible experience of it because it is entirely ineffable and above the capacity of man yet she had it in such abundance that whatever might be alleged or even proved to the contrary she could not understand how it could increase within her this must be understood to mean that being always replenished with love she could neither see nor desire more than that which at any moment held her satisfied this however did not prevent love from continually purifying and cleansing this precious and elect vessel and from ever increasing and more abundantly filling her and to prove this she said every day i felt myself lifted above these trifles which this pure love ever harassing itself with those penetrating eyes that behold even those smallest imperfections which to other love appear perfection was striving to cast out this work is done by god and man himself is not aware of it nor does he see these imperfections on the contrary because such a sight would be insupportable to him God shows him the perfected work as it were without a flaw. Yet God does not cease continually to purify him, although he does it in a way not comprehensible to any intellect. It is written that even the heavens are not pure in the sight of God, by which it must be understood that such purity is not known, except by the help of a supernatural light which, without any assistance from man works in him after its own pleasure, and even cleanses him more fully until he is entirely pure. And this work God does secretly, because when man yields himself wholly into the hands of God, which without divine grace he is unable even to wish to do, he can then see the enormity of even one trifling imperfection in the sight of God. And afterward, if he could see all those defects in himself which God is daily removing from him, he would be overpowered by his despair. Hence it is that these obstacles are gradually removed without man's cognizance, and God continually operates in us by his sweet goodness, so long as we remain in this present life. When the good God calls us in this world, he finds us full of vices and sins, and his first work is to give us the instinct to practice virtue then he incites us to desire perfection, and afterwards, by infused grace, he conducts us to the true annihilation, and finally to the true transformation. This is the extraordinary road along which God conducts the soul. But when the soul is thus annihilated and transformed, it no longer works, or speaks, or wills, or feels, or understands, nor has it in itself any knowledge, either of that which is internal or external, which can possibly affect it. And, in all these things, God is its director and guide, without the help of any creature. In this state, the soul is in such peace and tranquility, that it seems to her that both soul and body are immersed in a sea of the profoundest peace, from which she would not issue for anything that could happen in this life. She remains immovable, imperturbable, and neither her humanity nor her spirit feels anything except the sweetest peace, of which she is so full, that if her flesh, her bones, her nerves were pressed, nothing could issue from them but peace. And all day long she sings softly to herself, for joy, saying, Shall I show thee what God is? No one finds peace apart from him. And as this process goes on, she is every day more profoundly plunged, immersed, and transformed in this peace, so that her humanity is every day more alienated from the world, and from all things earthly and natural. And this in such wise, that even the body no longer lives upon corporeal food, and yet neither wastes away nor dies. On the contrary, this creature remains in health without using the means which are the cause of health because it is no longer supported by nature, but by an incomprehensible satiety, which overflows into the body. And this is doubtless the reason why such a creature becomes so marvelous in her aspect, and especially in her purified eyes, which are like two ardent stars, enkindled in heaven, so that she appears truly like an angel upon earth. This love is of so generous and excellent a spirit, that it disdains to lose its time in anything however beautiful and precious except its own purity and splendor from which issue translucent rays of ardent and inflamed virtue thus is she ever occupied and all things else she esteems as no longer appertaining to her this work is constantly progressing and every day the soul understands more clearly that the end for which man was created was truly for love, and to delight himself in this pure and holy love. And therefore when man has, by the assistance of divine grace, arrived at this desired port of pure love, he can afterwards do nothing, even if he wished or tried to force himself to do otherwise, but love and enjoy himself. This grace God gives to man in a manner so admirable and above every human desire or comprehension, that without doubt, being still in this present life, he feels himself to be made a partaker of the beatific glory. End of chapters 17 and 18